0: Hello and good morning. Welcome to the Coach's Corner, brought to you by the Endurance Lab, where the coaches from the lab recap the week and answer a couple questions from you from the forum. My name is Jason Flores, one of your Endurance Lab coaches, and today I'm joined by Taya Freested and Mitch Stingerman here in the lab. All right. Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Excellent. excellent. Good morning. There she is. There she is. All right. We're going to jump straight into hot topics like we do every week. And I've got something, I just came up with with a little bit of news here on my feed, just about a couple minutes before we started. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the CrossFit Games of 2018. Last year, they actually brought in cyclocross um, into one of the events. And as you know, CrossFit Games is like supposed to be the, the fittest of the fittest in the world, arguably. But... What they had brought in last year was uh, cyclocross, getting on and off mountain bikes, that sort of thing. But this year, right in the wheelhouse of what the Endurance Lab does, they have actually brought a crit race into the games. So essentially it was, from what I understand, 10 laps of a two or three mile course, pretty technical from what I understand. They actually, um, they had to be clipped in. They were all riding the same bike. They could choose from the Reebok line of the sponsors what they wanted to wear, so they could choose. but pretty much, I think they're on 28s. The bikes were like 22, 23 pounds. But super interesting to see this race. I don't know. Any of the coaches catch this or catch some something on their feet about this?
1: You know, I, I read, read slowtwitch.com. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, on the slow twitch, it got a lot of, um, from triathletes, it got a lot of uh, snickers. You know, um, everyone says triathletes can't ride bikes and the thought of CrossFit folks uh, riding bikes. I'd like to see a video of it, but I haven't found that yet
0: yeah I'll definitely post it. i they they uh, they stream live. um so I'll, I'll post a video here or post a link to it. Um but here's the thing. so they the the course was pretty technical because it was kind of around um like a stadium. So they had like um this, like ninety degree turns that were that had like dips in the middle, and these guys were like trying to like pedal through it, and there was all kinds of crash. But here's the thing. you know, you're at a crit and um you see guys go down and they' like they slide across the pavement. And um, you know, they're, they're not getting up. They're like all like road rashed up. These guys were so strong. They would get up, not mad at anybody. Just get up, get back on the bike and just keep going. It was pretty crazy. And these guys that are like, you know, they're lifting heavy weights, they're deadlifting, they're squatting. So really they've got some strong bodies to hold them together. There was maybe just one out of the six crashes that someone actually got you know hurt, hurt, that couldn't continue on. It was like their wrist. But otherwise the other crashes, they got hit they got bumped and they fell and they got back up man these are resilient resilient people
2: that's making your case for the strength that we have to do off the bike as cyclists absolutely you know, including, including, <laughs> bone, including bone density right you need yeah. to have that bone density because otherwise if you only do your bike workouts you're missing out on the strength that will make your bones uh
0: Thicker. stronger yeah absolutely and that strength is important because because we're not we're not actually lifting our own weight on the bike um, uh, it's it's really important that we kind of watch out for that so.
1: so so Taya now you're making the argument that we shall be running as well <laughs> and then that means after that you should be swimming and then we all become
0: triathletes and, and what happens mm, to the world yeah, so super, super interesting that they're introducing that. They've got some really crazy things that they do at CrossFit Games. So if you get a chance, I'll post the link here. Um, but really interesting to see that kind of um, in the realm. But you know what? They did a lot of things right at, um, as so far as covering both the men's and the women race equally, both equalizing the um, the fields with having exact same bikes for men and women just fitted for each other. Really making those fields kind of it just it being just about the rider, because how many times you know there's a huge varying number of riders in the field, and they've got all kinds of equipment, right? Some guys got the newest XYZ, but what if everyone had to ride the same bike? How much? How do you think that would change the game during a crit race?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, really? Okay, no, 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 that's totally that's totally cool. No, cause... I mean, I I, I I guess I'm thinking like a longer distance race, maybe. But yeah, I mean. I don't know. Yeah, I guess you start getting into fit, and, and bikes can be so personal. I, I guess yeah. yeah, it's it's, it's a really interesting thing to noodle on. But you said something else a second ago that was really interesting. With the news article that I saw yesterday as well, was you talked about the men and the women doing the same race, mm-hmm. and I think there's a growing controversy over the next Olympics in Japan because the men's course and the women's course are different. It has been. dramatically so with the climbing.
0: Yeah, I, in in the past at the Olympics as well, it's 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 been like that, and um. Yeah, I think I think they're ready to to race full courses, man. Like, I I follow the women's course, uh, the women's races, the ones that are available, and they are amazingly strong. Um, those ladies that are racing out there, um, the field is definitely more spread out as far as talent. But the ones that who are running at the front, like Team Michelin Scott, those they are bringing teams that are just as strong, you know, as the men's teams.
1: I mean, I think you look across women's sports, and you know, this is really really important to me, because I have all, all girls in my family. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you look at swimming these days. I mean, uh, Katie Ledecky, right, I mean, she's amazing. You look at, um, and I, I'm going to miss the athlete's name, but there was a, last weekend there was a triathlon, I think it was a 70.3 distance. The woman who won it came in under four hours, yeah. and I think she was only like the fifth person overall.
0: I guess we do have a woman on our panel here, so we could ask Taya, how does she feel um, that the women's fields are? And as far as, you know, doing a little bit of racing this year, um, do you feel like you want to be doing exactly what the guys are doing out there?
2: So I think that um, when you get to category one, two, three, then, uh, for example, in road racing and crit racing, then you get pretty much the same. Mm. um, the same distance for, for the races. So it really, there's no difference there when you go down to cat four, et cetera, and then masters, right. That's when you start to see a difference for women and men and distances, et cetera. Um, but as a cat four, for example, you have the option to choose if you want to do cat four or if you want to do masters Mm -hmm. masters is typically even shorter than the cat. But I think that, um, from what I see, I think the in the amateur world, the women are pretty happy with the differences and gotcha. the shorter distances. At least that's what I hear when we're lining up, right? right. That's what I yeah. hear before, after the races. And the one thing that I think is more important than the distance and um, you know equal equalizing the distance is having separate women's categories because a lot of times yes. the That's event right. organizer will put out the uh, women's categories, um, but then not a lot of women sign up. And I don't know what a lot means for their definition of the event, right? Each each organizer might have a number in their head that would hold a category open for um, the event to be a separate category. And if there aren't an, the number of women, then they just combine the categories. This right. is where, it gets tricky because now you're looking at, I raced a, um, it actually, it's a local race here, the Glencoe Grand Prix, and it's very well attended. But for some reason, they combined all the cats three, to f- three, four, and five for the women. And that's a hard one because once you, you, you mix three and five. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, um, it is, it is. You know, four and five, okay, um, yeah. two, three, but... So I think more in the, at least the amateur level, what I hear more often than not is we want to have separate categories.
0: Yeah. And it's about, it's about having, um, just enough women to be able to put fields out the way we handle it here. I'm not sure if it's the same as you guys did. They would leave, they would let a group of, um, let's say in that case, they would let like the, the three, uh, the two threes go, the women's, and then they would let the, uh, Three fours go like that. Oh, wait, is that right? One twos and then three fours. And then and they they would be Maybe. gapped separately, but in the same heat, like in the same like forty-five minutes, let's say. But they they would be gapped so that they wouldn't lap each other and they would have their own race within the forty-five minutes.
2: Right. And that's see, that's a way of doing it. That's yeah. I think that I think works, especially mm-hmm. for a crit because you have the turns and, and the turns create separation um, with that time gap.
0: Right, and then at least you're racing with um, riders of your same of your same level versus like the very top at you know yeah, edge of it. Right. You guys have cat five. You have cat five women as well. I thought you don't start yes. as fours. You don't start as everyone starts as five as well.
2: Okay, for some reason, yeah. I
0: or maybe that's mountain biking that everybody starts as fours. Yeah, so over here we have that for um, like juniors. They split it, so it's the same forty-five minutes, and then like the the two sets of juniors will go. Um, and then you're not allowed to like draft or if you happen to catch up with the faster group ahead of you, you can't draft, you can't bridge. There's a couple things like that. But um, in that same, maybe that's something that we could see. Or you can um, kind of say, hey, we want to get split up. There's 20 of us. We can easily do groups of 10 or whatever the number is. Um, and that could be helpful because then you're not racing against a, a five is not racing against a three, essentially.
2: Right. Oh, well, yes. speaking of juniors, I was in a race with ju- the, the juniors uh, were in the categories too. Oh gosh. And that is that is also a little crazy. bit strange because yes. some of the juniors are crazy, crazy. Yes. Yeah. Well yeah. known,
0: well known here in California, we've got a very, very healthy BMX and mountain bike um, kind of upbringing at the high schools. So a lot of kids come into road biking at a young age, um, and they they are extremely strong. Um, and the problem is, is that they're like ego. They're very ego strong, but all, they're also very strong on the on. It's very strong on the bike. So people are very wary at the crits, especially Cat Five. You know, things may crash X Y Z. But usually, on the top of the list is watch out for the juniors um, because yeah, uh, they they just they'll they'll bomb the corners. Um, they will take you on the inside. They will um, you know they they just won't respect lines. And it's just because one they're just younger. They're learning, but And really just takes, you know, some maturity to understand that people need to go to work on Monday, people are not here for, you know, this check, we're not all racing for socks at the end of this race, you know, that sort of thing. And it's that mentality that just kind of has to shift over time. And so people just let them go. If they get off the front, they let them go, they let them upgrade, they get them through, they end up as cat threes or twos in about a month or two. And then, you know, they kind of have to work their way out, you know, but it's tough here too. Yeah. All right, we're gonna switch switch gears a little bit. Um, it's a topic that we have covered before, but we are going to talk a little bit more specifically about hydration and about longer events, uh, longer periods of time, specifically around the um, 80 to 90 minute mark. Um, and then also we've got a couple um, athletes that are also doing longer events up to 24 hours. We've heard some stories on Chat and Chill about you know Martin Walker that's done the Huge enduro mountain bike race—that's you know twenty-four hours plus in the dark. Um, But just wanted to revisit a little bit about that. Um, So let's share a couple experiences um, around the around the table today about how you fuel for a ninety-minute workout. So Taya, what do you do for a ninety-plus minute workout?
2: So a lot of what people do is around sixty to ninety minutes, right? Um, And um, and this is for this goes for the endurance lab. This goes for uh, the the for example right now the execution lab we have going on or even the academy booster lab um, for those who are doing Zwift Academy those workouts are around the same time so when you're looking at 60 to 90 minutes whatever you have in your system in in your body in terms of nutrition it's already there
0: Mm -hmm. so
2: whatever you eat um, if you, let's say you're 45 minutes in or 90, you know, or 60 minutes in and you have a gel or you have gummies, you have something that is really not scientifically speaking, that will not affect your performance in that workout. However, there's evidence that says that psychologically that will help you. Um, right. so some people, even though they might not, even though in the body itself, you you don't see Um, the physiological change, there is, there could be, for some people, a mental change in terms of, oh, I just had this, now I feel like I'm, I'm sugared up, I have more energy, and they're able to finish the workout strong. And I am not ashamed to say that I'm one of those people. (laughs) I do that, Mm. because, you know, if I have a super hard workout, and I'm already, you know, 45 minutes in, and I know I have harder intervals at the end, um, I do it, because it, it makes me feel good. But, but really, you know, you so in, in 60 to 90 minutes, you have to think about what you eat beforehand to be ready for that workout. If it's an intensity workout, if it's, it's going to have you working on zones, and we can talk about zones too, um, Jay Flo, as we were talking yeah. earlier, um, depending on the zones you're going to hit in that workout, you might want to have carbs on board on your body ahead of time. Uh, whatever you do during it is not going to make a difference. Now, hydration might make a difference because, uh, and, and really, you could get away with water. You could. Um, for that 60 minutes to 90 minutes, unless you are in such humid, hot conditions that you're sweating a ton, that you might need electrolytes. And the other thing about electrolytes, and we can go more into this, is um, some some people don't like having the water by itself. They want if they have some kind of taste in the water that makes them drink more. And if that's the case, then it's good to have the electrolytes in there. But you know, short short workouts is um, is not as crucial as longer workouts.
0: Yeah, that's really a good point. And the, the the highlights there, you know, having having something that you will drink, whether it be the temperature of the the fuel or the, the water being cold, have it having a taste of electrolytes or it having some carbohydrate source are super important. Um, so those three tips. Mitch, oh, sounds good. Um, looks like Mitch has got to step away for a moment, but let me go ahead and share my 90 minute plus Um, 90 minute plus um, kind of experiences for me. I'm pretty consistent. I like to have the same thing from the beginning So whether it be 60 90 120 I usually feel with the same amount and what's key to me is getting the most amount of water into the body efficiently So there's a couple things that you need first you start obviously with the base. It's water You need to add electrolytes add this in any sort of way you could use products like um, precision hydration Osmo or scratch Um, and essentially what they'll have is they'll have a certain amount of electrolytes or salt or some kind of com- combination of that, and that will help the water pass into your gut more easily. Secondarily, you actually need a little bit of carbohydrate, a small amount, anywhere from twenty to thirty, um, per uh, twenty or thirty grams of uh, sugar. And the reason why is because the second, um, the second transport or the second way to get water in, the second way to get water in is through what's called a glucose transport system. And so when you have salt on board and you have glucose on board all the water is actually going to pass in. How do you know this is happening? If you were to drink water all by itself, your actually, your your abdomen will actually grow and or it will kind of distend or get bigger. And the reason why is because the body is actually not absorbing that water. If in fact you're hydrating properly and you've got your percentages right, when you drink, it'll actually be absorbed at the same rate that you're drinking, about one bottle, anywhere from 16 to 20 some odd ounces um, per hour, and it should actually absorb. Meaning you shouldn't need to pee you know, constantly through a race unless the concentrations are all way off. Hence, some of the recommendations that we make with Osmo, Scratch, and Precision Hydration have lower concentrations of carbohydrate. The reason why is because it's easier to transport in the body. And so that's why it's key to get hydration through your bottle um, and to be able to get that water in. So for me, 60, 90, 120, I just stay consistent. I do the same amount to get the efficient amount of hydration in. Mitch is back. So let's hear from Mitch. What do you like to do? 90 plus. I know you'd like to do some of those back road rides. What do you got on the bike in the bottle for that?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really big into liquid nutrition and I, I used to be really into gels and, and uh, probably when I'm doing longer runs, it's more gels, but on the bike, it's, uh, I've got my own product I use and uh, they've got a lot of science behind it and they kind of figure it out. And I guess that's, that's my thought is it's, it's, tough i think there's a lot of science to it and if you find Mm -hmm. a good product like the osmo or the scratch and i use um efs Mm -hmm. um, they do a lot of the work for you and then it's really just listening to your body um so i use efs pro in a bottle and it's got my electrolytes it's got my carbs and it's got my amino acids and um you know it it seems to work for me and i think that's the other key is is you got it it's personal right i mean you can get into some people really like solids yeah and um but it's a personal thing, and you and you've got to you've got to train with it, and you've got to practice it, and you've got to race with it too, and see how it does in yeah. a race, because that's so different. It is. Um, it is. But if I'm doing something longer, yeah, I'm bringing some nutrition along, and I think it is a lot of psychological, like Taya says.
0: Yeah, totally. So you know, a lot of people take that um, that approach that Mitch has, which is the carbohydrates. All the fueling is in the bottle, and sometimes for the rides like um, Mitch does, kind of mixed mixed stuff all the way through gravel, all the way to road. Taya's done the same. She's done some gravel rides. Sometimes you need all the fuel in the bottle. The thing about that is just need to make sure you put some water in. Just like you know, Mitch was talking about gels, which has been very hugely popular um, even all before this. Um, when you take a gel, I was on a ride over the weekend. Someone goes, hey, Jason, did you know that when you take a gel, you need to drink 12 ounces of water? And I'm like, I think I heard that. <laughs> it's a funny thing. I was like, yeah, and it's tough. And, you know, at the end of a ride, you know, I, I may carry one or two um, for the end of the ride for that last bump. Um, and it does. It takes a little bit of water. So you, you've got to think about that, too. I mean, triathletes know, you know, down to the milliliter how much they need for each one so they don't get gut distress. So really, it's um, the fueling just has got to get worked out. So if you're going to add fueling to your hydration, you just need to make sure you're still hydrating um, with, like, um, a bottle of water. Uh, separately. And I think I think that's how it works. And that's how it's been done historically, right, Mitch? You know, you had water, fuel, right? Bottle of yeah. water, bottle of fuel type deal on your bike, and then you guys switch that out at every aid station type deal. And so, yeah. it's been done. It, it can be done, you know, there's many ways to kind of slice it up.
2: Excellent. All right, so now, as I'll, we switch over... Me, oh, go ahead. Jay flow, yeah. let, let me just, yeah, make one comment here. So, the, um, on the 60 to 90 minute workout comment then, um, still, so I had a race that was 36 miles long and that race I did in, you know, about an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. Now for that one, I did have Carbo Pro in my bottle nice. and I had scratch in the bottle because I knew it was going to be intense yeah. for a long time um, and I did not want to be caught low on glycogen. And yeah. I don't know how hard it was going to be going at the beginning, middle, end, right? It it really depended on the field and all of that. Um, so I did have in that case, because it was a race, I had um, hydration and nutrition in my bottle. And then I did have one gel pack and I use um, the science and sport one mm-hmm. because it doesn't require water to go with yeah. it. So that, that one is also good. easy. Just go straight it's,
0: in. That really speaks to kind of how it's used. So for example, Crit race or, um, you know, like the Saturday night, di- the Saturday morning showdown, um, things are moving so fast. You're in a Peloton, you know, there's 60 to 80 people. You're not gonna be able to eat a rice cake. Sorry, love them, love them, love them, but I can- you're not gonna be able to eat it. It's not, no one's sitting up over a 35 mile race. Everyone's kind of in it. So having like a gel like that is wh- is what you're gonna need to do, whether it be Carver Pro in the bottle. But like over the weekend, I was in Malibu, we did sixty miles, sixty thousand feet of climbing. People are gonna stop, we're gonna regroup, you can you can enjoy and have, you know, right. waffles and have and have, you know, whatever you brought in the pocket, you know, that sort of thing. So it, it really just depends on how you're riding in your group. So just know that. And that's important to know. Um but getting back to kind of the base question and where this came from, for those longer workouts, let's say going back to indoors, just make sure you're hydrating. If you're not going over ninety minutes, just hydrate yourself. Pick a hydration module, some electrolytes, water for sure. Maybe some sugar source, and 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 get, and go with it. Keep yourself hydrated, and then throughout the day, because remember, we work out one hour, two hours max, right? There's 22 hours of the day. Hopefully, you're sleeping eight of them. The other time you're awake, make sure you hydrate yourself. Otherwise, right? Always. Yeah, always, always. All right, let's shift our let's shift our um gears here say, um, we're looking at longer events, 24 hour fueling events. I've got a little bit of a, um, a quick uh, rundown um, for the 24 hour events, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. I know Stefan, um, oh, Stephanie. Stephanie's doing the um, 24 hour event, perfect. Um, so just got that information. So we're gonna run this down. I've got a couple things to consider kind of just more generally, just to spark some conversation, and then we can go from there. So the four things that I kind of got, um, and I'll put a link to the article that I found, um, was a, uh, was four things. The amount of fuel, and then going back to hydration and electrolytes, and some things that you wanna make sure you don't do, and then some ideas of what kind of fueling choices you can make. So for the amount of fuel, um, you're looking at amount, um, how much can you actually consume over let's say hour per hour, and then kind of continuously after that. So by the science, you're looking at any, anywhere from 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour. So anywhere from 250 to 350 calories, to really the maximum amount that most riders can take um, on the bike. Um, so good thing about it, you know, on the bike you actually can take a little bit more. Um, Mitch can tell you trying to tend to eat while you run, it's pretty difficult. The body, jo- you know, jostling all around, so it's a lot less. And that's why sometimes you know things like gels or something easily digestible is easy is a little bit easier. But on the bike, um, 250 to 350 calories that translate to about 60 to 90 grams of carbohydrates can be useful, but you got to test it. You've got to practice it. Um, hydration and electrolytes, it goes back to making sure you're getting the most you want in and then also mixing it up because 24 hours is going to be a long time. So different things are going to be used. We've got stories all the way to just using conventional foods, you know, teas and all kinds of weird stuff, coffee here and there. It really depends on what you have in the aid station, but you're looking at about one bottle. So that's anywhere from 600 to 750 milliliters an hour of hydration with a little bit of electrolytes, a little bit of sugar. You just need to find out what's going to work for you and maybe changing flavors around, something like that, so you don't get essentially taste fatigue um, throughout the 24 hours. Um, and so just and making sure that there's an electrolyte source. If that means you're taking something extra just to stay ahead of that and you feel like you need that, you can you can use something like that in every other bottle, let's say, to make sure that you're getting that uh, those electrolytes in every bottle. Some things that you don't want to do is you don't want to try anything new as far as fuels. Stuff that you have used before is important. Simple sugars are are going to be useful but you're going to need to mix it up depending on your pace. At 24 hours it's essentially an endurance race. The pace will be way back. Nobody's going VO2 max for 24 hours. So you're going to be dropping back hopefully some spouts of tempo, but mostly endurance. So you can take in, um, it doesn't need to be all simple sugars. You can kind of start with more um, real foods and then transition into simple sugars. And so um, making sure you take electrolytes and don't overconsume. because let's say you do start off a little bit slower and you kind of make it throughout the day, make sure that you know how much you're gonna be taking, Just kind, of, just not going by feel. So having a plan is important. And then, of course, on the other side of things, not to overhydrate. And the reason why is because you don't want to be in a situation where um, the the balance is just way off. Knowing about a bottle an hour, depending on the temperature that we talked about, is important. And then, of course, fueling choices, just general rules. um, You know, solid food early on um, could be very, very useful. Using a base fuel of something um, that essentially looking at 50 or 70% of the time, something that you know that you can choose because it's always going to be unknowns out there that you may need to switch over. So if it means that you've got something that you go to, but it means you have to bail on it and you need fuel in between, be open to that outside of your plan. But again, you have to make a plan. And so knowing that and about 350 calories per hour is super important. And if you're getting quality food in during your ride, you're going to have a quality ride. If You're just getting garbage in the whole time and just like chips and... Muffins and everything that looks nice at the aid stations—you're gonna get up a garbage ride, unfortunately. And so, um, looking—the um, last thing is just looking at simple sugars versus kind of real food, kind of more complex stuff, just because it's so long. And so, kind of thinking about that. So, with those things in mind, um, kind of tips that we have uh, for our writers out there, um, experience there from the coaches, kind of anything we want to add as far as you know this long jaunt. I don't think I haven't. I know. Um, I don't know, Mitch. Taylor, have you guys done anything to this length? I know Taya's has done something pretty long on the gravel ride last year, right?
2: I've done the longest I've done was um, 175 miles. So, mm-hmm. so not nearly as long yeah. as a 24-hour event. Yeah. But one thing I will add here is um, protein. Um, yeah, you need you need that to um, to also hold you up, and um, really just have. Just complete that, you know, because if you if you only go by carbs, you might start to not feel that great after yeah. a while. And the tricky part about, because you know how we always say, practice what you're gonna do on the, on race day. Practice what you're gonna do on race day. Well, no one is gonna practice at least <laughs> 24 so. hours, no 24 hour racing. <laughs> yeah. So it's something, you know, you might find out a couple of things about yourself. Um, who knows? But having a plan, like you said, is very important. But also, you know, the the thing about the plan, at least what I speak from experience, on that 175-mile event that I did, which wasn't that long compared to the 24-hour, I was going, you know, I knew I had to eat every hour and I had to have a bottle every hour. But if I'm going by the time on my Garmin with autopause, now all of a sudden my hours are off. Yeah. go by the watch, really just, just by your watch, even if you have to set up an alarm that goes off every 60 minutes, because trust me, after a while, your brain goes into fog mode and you don't really remember, you know, when was the last time again that I ate? And was it 30 minutes ago? You start doing the math in your head and all of a sudden adding 30 and 30 is hard, you know? (laughs) So Yeah. um, yeah, having that plan is important.
1: You know, know, I have a question. Go ahead, Mitch. I I was going to say, I mean, you know, the longest I've done is a six-hour race um, with half Ironman. But, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of information available when you get into forums, right, like ours and and ones that have been around for a long time, like Slow Twitch and things. And you can really learn a lot from some of those threads. And you can also learn a lot from what you see in in a lot of races. So if you look at Ironman races, at the end of those uh, runs, you start seeing on the aid tables sometimes chicken broth right Um, or flat coke and i mean it's saying something there right it's chicken broth is electrolytes Mm -hmm. um, it's the sodium and it's a liquid and the coke is flat simple sugar um and caffeine Um, so really what you're saying there jason is is kind of highlighted in in a lot of best practices from a lot of longer distance races absolutely
0: yeah so just across the board i did have one more thing Oh, do we know if um, like riders are like how what the format of that race is specifically that um Stephanie's looking at you? Like, are they going to have like rest stops? Are they sleeping? Are they how does is it like a relay? Yeah. I don't know. what how does it work?
2: Yeah. So so it's a loop, right? It's a loop. Um, so it's you're not going to be going super long distance. Mm-hmm. And um, it's in an urban area. So you can you can even venture out of that particular circuit that they have built for the race as huh. long as you go back to your checkpoints because you need to go back to you have checkpoints along the way that you have to hit by a certain time so i think there are time cuts so okay. you can you you know you finish the race if you have all your holes punched for all the uh the Me. places you're supposed to stop at um so there some people are doing are camping around and having their tents along the course so they can take a nap or sleep or whatnot. Um, Some people have, you know, I think you could have your car parked like Martin Walker had on when he did his event. I remember that, that yeah. That everything was frozen in his car, but um, (laughs) so. I do remember that too. Yeah, so Stephanie will have that option. I don't know how her setup is gonna be particularly for this one, but I, I do know that that's the event format. Interesting.
0: Yeah. So the from, from what I understand in the podcast that I listen to, this kind of drops into the ultra running world as well, kind of yeah. long, long jaunts. Um, and, um, you know, really it's a balance, you know, how little sleep um, you're going to get. Sleep deprivation is going to take into a, um, a toll very quickly. Um, if you are going to stop, how long do you stop for? So there's a lot of, a lot of choices to be made um, you know, if it, if it's a distance thing, I know from before when we talked to one of our writers, Martin, it was kind of like distance covered in amount of time. Um, and so if it's one of those things or if it's about just finishing and the time cut is 24 hours. So, I mean, obviously you can probably finish it before that if everybody's kind of if, if you're hustling on it and making good choices and you're able to keep going. But um, you're definitely going to need to take breaks, I'd imagine, you know, bathroom breaks and, you know, rest breaks. So you kind of need to plan that in. Um, you know, Mitch, you remember how, um, you know, how some, um, runners come into like a marathon with a run, walk strategy and they're still getting like, you know, under four hours. Like they're, they say like, they're going to run this amount, they're going to walk for X amount. And it really just kind of allows them to run faster during the times that they're running. Um, maybe something like that could be useful where someone's like, okay, I'm going to go, you know, hard for this, recover for this, where they're getting some active recovery as they go, something like
1: that. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I've, I've seen that in, in shorter races, um, but I, mean, I think you have to have a plan. Uh, I mean, you got to really think out your 24-hour effort and, and how you're going to accomplish it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. <laughs> All right. So we're going we're gonna to slide on over to um, a couple other topics that have come up. Um, I'm going to pass this on over to Taya. Um, we have a nice little conversation here about a couple skills um, that we have coming up um, um, across the lab and then just kind of overall as far as, far as conversation.
2: So you, and I mentioned this last week as well, um, we are doing a lot of skills work mixed and baked in with the um, workouts themselves. And we always do this, right? We always mix high cadence, low cadence and um, skill type work um, with our workouts. But I think things, not that I think, we have actually, in fact, picked up a notch um, during this lab. And, um, And so... I thought it would be a good idea to bring back that topic of um, skills on the bike and efficiency, and tie that up a little bit with erg mode, yeah. erg, if you will, because there's been a lot of conversation around those topics. Um, so really, here, we when you when you transition um, from. Sitting to standing, standing to seated, one of the basic things, and this comes from also reviewing one-on one workouts with some of the lab members here, is um, having that transition be a smooth one is tricky, right? Because you have to shift and then you have to shift position change positions on the bike. So if you have to go from seated to standing, shift first to a lower gear and then stand. Um, and then, When you transition from standing to seated, again, you sit down first and then you shift down as you need to. But really, as you work through all of these changes that happen within the interval, going from fast cadence to slow cadence, going from seated to standing, all of those things will require you to recruit so many muscles in your legs that normally you would neglect if you're just sitting the whole time and grinding it out. And this is also where ERG mode comes in. And for those of you not familiar with ERG who might be listening to the podcast, ERG is uh, essentially when you have the trainer set up the power for you. So all you have to do is pedal and the trainer will automatically adjust the resistance to the target power that you have for the workout. The issue sometimes with that is, and, and, and there's value with erg mode, oh, yeah. especially for um, new riders, right? And j you can talk more about this too. Yeah. But as you get more experienced, you should be, really be working with recruiting a lot of those muscles that might go, you know, they're not working as hard or not working at all and how you're firing them up um, altogether when you're just sitting there working your quads, basically, um, for the workouts in erg mode. If, as you have to stand and seat and and make all these changes, and we had comments from our our lab participants last week, for example, how their hamstrings were were sore, because yeah, you're working and you're having to use all of those muscles. But this is in turn going to translate into so much more efficiency on the bike that when you're out there on the road, you're able to do so much more. And, and as we talk about as well many times here, it's not just about power. It's how you use the power. You apply it to the pedals, the torque, and uh, the changing positions, being able to accelerate. All of those things will make a big difference when you're out there on the road.
0: It's, it's uh, so funny. So I know um, who Taya's coach is um, in real life, and uh, she's starting to sound more and more and like that. So about the torque, really got to spin that up, really got to use that momentum, get out of that corner. So it's really interesting to um, really get these extra skills, things that a lot of people don't talk about, because when we're here indoors, what you find yourself is just you're grinding at a certain wattage. And so um, speaking to that, if you're a new rider, you just need to be able to make consistent, steady wattage. And once you get that groove of that, you need to kind of free yourself up and be able to kind of open up and change gears because nobody's in ERG mode on the road. We, are, we um, No roads are completely flat. And um, there's always some undulations, and that's where it can be helpful. You know, comments can be can be said like, "Oh, why did we buy this thousand-dollar trainer?" Um, you know, to not use ERG, you use it for when um, you're doing, a, let's say, a workout or a free ride, and you use it for the terrain when you're on the when, when you're on course. You use it for a controllable trainer to to simulate the course that you're on. That's that's the beauty of the of the of the machine. But once you've kind of graduated from being able to make steady wattage for five, ten minutes at a time, this is where it can come in. And this is where the skills can help. And this can translate pedal stroke for pedal stroke into real life. You know for like for self for myself and I know Mitch coming from um and I think Mitch is still on um a trainer that requires you to change gears because it's a single resistance unit. We've always changed gears in order to get a higher resistance. So those things translate directly um and and we and i think see if Mitch is back um but yeah we can speak he can definitely speak to um to that because we were both from those sort of trainers so being able to stand being able to move knowing to change gears before you get up these are important um and so just kind of separating those and trying to figure out oh how am i supposed to go cadence? because you know what the workouts that we put out always have cues like that and the riders that are riding in um, the endurance lab a most majority are not in um, ERG mode for that same reason. And so for those that are in like the Academy Booster and they're coming from that world of a lot of ERG work, there are instructions in these workouts that are asking you to do lower cadence or higher cadence. And if you've ridden ERG before, if you drop down too low of cadence, there are some crazy things that'll happen. So the way you can avoid that is writing that workout without and kind of learning. Um, And it takes time because having steady power off of ERG um takes some getting used to but really it's just like ha- trying to have steady power out on the road and really that goes yeah, to talk and the, about the other thing go is
2: ahead. yeah go ahead
0: no, go oh i was just no, talking was about say, it just translate um... it, it translate mm-hmm. over to zones and just trying to understand about equal power But you were saying about equal power
2: yeah though i was i was just going to mention the uh the Neuromuscular connections that you make. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, when you when you make all of the changes, our our bodies are amazing. You're teaching. You're creating new pathways. When you go and do these different things on the bike, and you have to do it, you have to do them yourself. You're now establishing a pathway between your brain and your muscle and you're teaching your body to work a certain way. So that's, that's also very valuable.
0: Absolutely. Just those other skills. And I think, I think there's more to be had than just being able to make wattages, increasing that watts per kilogram. I mean, it is part of the game. It is what makes the game fun. But really, the reason why we all train, obviously, is to be strong, um, to be out with our friends, to do social rides, group rides, races, group races, things like that. So. What else do we have there, Tim? There could
2: be writers, there could be writers on the Academy, for example, who um, mm. this is where erg mode can be important to them. They want to absolutely make sure that they get everything done perfectly yeah. on the workout. And, uh, uh, yeah. and they're yeah. newer writers, right? right? So this is where they want all the stars and they want everything to look perfect. Yeah. Um so that's when when it can be helpful to them.
0: Yeah, yeah, it can be. You won't miss. So when when you see a post that says, "Hey, I got all my stars," and I was on ERG, it's designed to give you all the stars. <laughs> so as long as you're pedaling, right. you should you should be in the stars. And one thing, I, if um if you did catch um for those listening, if you caught, I did a live stream of uh the Zwift Academy workout number one, and um the workout was designed for you know over threshold, under threshold at the beginning. Um, just above, uh, oh, in the VO2 max. But it was having us recover at 65% of of FTP, which puts you pretty high. And it's fine for threshold efforts, Mm -hmm. but really, to ask me to go all out anaerobic at 400, and I was averaging 420, 430 watts for 60 seconds, and then go down to 200 something for 65, at 65%, because it was like, you know, we understand, it's in the science, you're going to get a long break, you, you want to clear lactic acid, but in 30 seconds or a minute, it's not happening at 65%, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's it's good information, but I mean, I, th- there are things, and the reason why I bring it up is because I was failing all the recoveries, and people were asking, oh, hey, you're not getting the star, you're not getting the star, I'm like, because I need to recover, you want quality workout, so, excellent. Um, do we want to touch a little bit about zones, and kind of how that translates indoors, outdoors, Tia, or...
2: I think maybe if we get started on that, j four, because yeah. I think you had yeah. it more specific.
0: Yeah, so really what we're looking at is obviously we see the colors in the zones in um, in Zwift and during the workouts, the greens, the blues, the yellows, the reds. Um, what what we wanted to bring to the table was an idea of as you work different zones during our workouts um, and during your Zwift Academy workouts is to get an understanding of how that translates to what you do outside. When I brought up the idea that VO2max, for example, was an effort that you were climbing anywhere from three minutes to eight minutes, using that power and being able to bring that to a hill on your local ride is important. And so just understanding what you're training, how that translates to outdoor use, and then you could bring that wattage. If you're using that same power meter, of course, you could bring that same wattage or that same perceived exertion to your climbs outdoors and you'll be able to do that steadily. And and you'll be able to do it consistently, and know that you can produce that power. So that was just a, just kind of a, a tidbit of translation. Yeah. yeah,
2: go ahead. Right. So two things on that. Um, going back to, for example, the workout we had this week in the lab, the uh, the endurance lab hill work. You could look at those intervals and say to yourself, you know, I'm doing this indoors, but it's really something I can take and use outdoors, like you said, J-Flow, and you, if you have a parameter, you can look at your numbers and, and so you know what you're doing. Um, but also, and this tying back the stars <laughs> of Zwift workouts and the zones, also understand that because our FTPs are not static and um, they might fluctuate depending on what else we have going on, et cetera. Being within a zone does not mean you have to hit the exact number of watts on the screen. Yeah, it's Really, you can be within the zone, ripping the benefits of that zone, even if you are a couple of watts higher or lower than, than the target. So that's also why you don't have to worry about having to be an ERG because you want to hit those numbers. It's okay. Your body, it's not like your body is going to say, oh, you're five watts below. Well, I'm not a VO2 anymore. Yeah. Um, that's not the case, right? It's you really still getting the benefits of uh, of that zone. So that zone has a range right. within it that still so, in
1: So fascinating is with <laughs> with the way that we're all data junkies and and the way that we've got all the science so readily available to us. You know, we forget that like decades ago, guys <laughs> were making incredible fitness gains and they were doing these probably you know very similar training. But with stopwatches, Yeah. and and yeah. perceived exertion, and somehow or another, they improved and they got better, but they didn't know what their FTP was, and they certainly weren't calculating, you know, 110% of it on the fly as they were. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They didn't have a power meter. I mean, so yeah, I, I yeah. think it's so easy to get seduced by these numbers, and and uh, you know, I always call it a paralysis by analysis, too. Right? is like that. It's, and it's sometimes it's just, you know, get out there and ride or, or get out there and run and make the effort. And if it's not exact or you fall a little short or you go a little hard, you're, you're going to be fine in the long run. Yeah, that's why I hate those stars.
0: It's, it, it, yeah, we always and, you know, Mitch and I come from come from a world of um, even trainer rule before this and then perceived exertion and just heart rate before that. So I mean th- there is all that. I mean, back in the days where it was a backpack to get your heart rate mon to get your heart rate for your heart rate monitor. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty nuts. Back in the film own days. Um definitely heard the stories. Wasn't doing any of that, but still um super interesting. Um, you know, one other conversation. Um, was there anything else about zones, Tia, that uh, that you had for us today? No, that was it. Okay. So, you know, um it, it kind of speaks to conversation, you know, perusing through both our forum. Um, at the very beginning, let's go back to that, and then also through um, the, let's say, the Men's Academy Forum, and I could ask Tia here for the women's, a lot of writers, um, you find, are using this, um, kind of this, our our, our first lab, or um, the one that they're first joining, or the Academy as this, you know, coming back, you know, let's say, like, coming back either from a break or coming back from an injury, or just kind of getting some sparked um, kind of interest in getting back into back into fitness. Um, And so we've got a little bit uh, to chat about that. Um, Mitch has got a couple topics here that wants to talk about, you know, that motivation and kind of some tips on if you're coming back from whether it's an injury or um, kind of like some lack of motivation where you're looking for that new spark, some of the things that you should be thinking about as you roll forward, whether it be for Academy or Execution Lab, whatever it may be. So um, we've got a couple things for you here.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we all have reasons why we step away from the sport um, for a while. Could be an injury, could be a new job. Um, could be a divorce, could be something good like, a, you know, you had your first child or your second or your third child, and, and we all, parents, know how stressful that time is. Um, so, you know, first, all, I'd like to really ask, you know, so Taya and Jason, if you guys ever had to take a break? And, and you know, why was it, you know, the break if it's not too personal? And and how did you come back? I mean, what were some of the things that you did? Taya, you want to go first?
2: Mine is actually kind of boring because... Um... <laughs> I <laughs> I think the longest break I had was 10 days yeah Brazil. Um, so, so yeah, I was when I went to Brazil to visit visit family and what I did there was I didn't I didn't have a bike, so I had mountains though and uh so what I did, I did plyometrics every day and I ran every other day. I started 15 minutes going to 20 minutes so using sort of like the the same muscles that we would use on the bike in an explosive way to maintain it. And so when I got back, it wasn't as much of a, of a steep, um, come back. I didn't have to, uh, you know, the first week when you come back after 10 days is, is tough because you still have to kind of, ramp up slowly, but not so slowly because I was doing those specific, very targeted, specific workouts yeah. off the bike that would help me get back on the bike. But I did have before then, you know, um, a, a similar break of 10 days that I didn't do any of that. Um, and that one was a steeper curve to come back to when I came back on the bike, even though it was the same 10 days it's just because I wasn't doing the same types of exercise. I was just doing nothing really. and uh, with doing nothing it took me longer. it took me probably two weeks or two and a half weeks to get back to where I was at before the break and that's just 10 days.
0: Yeah, and definitely definitely tough. So um, my story um, comes when uh, my son um, uh, you see him on live streams and stuff um, he uh, he was one and um, so my wife and I obviously in that first uh, first first child um, first year, kind of just all crazy. Um, What happened to me was that, um, you know, I was trying to maintain, you know, being able to still ride, um, did a lot of indoor training during that time, and also, you know, being there for my family. Um, And what had happened was that um, I actually had um, a lot of lower back pain. Um, I think it put me out almost three months, kind of not really able to put a lot of effort in. Um, And so I had to work with um, my coach at the time to kind of get strengthened. And um, it just hap- it, you know. And I, I talk to dads about this all the time. I wish there was like some like dad CrossFit, some dad fitness thing, and that teaches you how to like move properly and like you know deadlift like slippery fish or um, I don't know what other exercises it could be. You know, lifting stuff over your head that's kind of like oddly sized. I feel like that's kind of what kind of threw it all out because I had generally decent fitness. Like I can move, I could lift, but it wasn't in these angles or these long periods of you know. Of, uh, positions that that I needed to be for my son you know whether it be caring for him putting him to sleep you know making him feel comfortable making him feel you know adjusted to home it was it was just something completely different and so it was taking a toll on because I did so many things that were just like very lateral you know vertical it's running riding a bike lifting it wasn't things that were more dynamic um, and I kind of learned that over the years I think we need to do a lot of those more dynamic movements to make ourselves stronger not just on the bike, but just as a general person. You know, I vowed after that to never have lower back pain. So I do a lot of things, you know, to make sure that core is strong, mobility is strong. I got into like, um, you know, the Supple Leopard by, um, you know, Kelly Starrett, got into a lot of that and it's really helped myself. And then also my wife as she recuperated after that to stay strong and keep her core, um, you know, enabled or activated.
1: Yeah, I think that's all. I mean, I, I, I think I identify a lot with that. I mean, I had personally, I had a um, a year where I had three stress fractures um, and, I, and I can identify how I got them. It was from running and it was from doing too much, too fast. And, and that took me out of everything for quite a while. I mean, I could swim some, but I even had to really dial back the cycling for a bit and let that heal. Um, so, I mean, I think we've all experienced things where we had to take breaks of different links. and. I think there's some really key and, and really some simple ways that you can approach coming back. Um, really the first step is is just accept where you are and who you are at that time, right? I mean, you may have given up a ton of fitness depending on the break. If it was a six month break and, and you didn't really do anything, you know, your FTP and your, your strength, um, your aerobic fitness, all those things may be dialed back and you just really need to just accept it and uh, you move forward. So, You know, you could do an FTP test and see where you sit, and that might be a great idea. Um, But if you don't for a while, that's fine, too. So the key is know where you are, accept it, and then you begin taking small steps forward. Um, You're not going to go from zero to 100 overnight. So what you've got to do is you've got to say, all right, maybe it's just a, a commute to work and it's only three miles, and and maybe it's making sure I get up and actually do that workout and start getting into the habit again of doing activities and doing workouts and, and having a plan. But over time you just begin to make those steps a little bit bigger and you start to get your fitness back. Um, Jason mentioned something, which I think is really key, um, not self-serving, but I think uh, it can be very important, which is finding a coach. Um, it always helps have somebody else who won can sort of validate where you are at the moment, but then can also give you a plan and help you adhere to that plan and then also modify it as it goes on so that you can get back to your fitness. Um, Jason knows very well that I have a tendency when I'm trying to broaden to go too far too fast. Um, you know, you start feeling good and you just start to overreach and before you know it, you're having a setback. So I think having a coach when you're trying to come back from a delayed period of uh, you know non-activity is probably a great idea but then the, the last thing and i think this is always important and i think we lose sight of this a lot is whatever you're doing remember why and it's because it's fun right we're all we're all here mostly we're we're not professionals we're all um have a full-time job we have families if you're not having fun doing this then you need to find something else to do or you need to find why it's fun so remember the, you know the wind in your hair when you're cycling or Or that late evening run where it's just you and and kind of nature outside and it's quiet. Find the things that you enjoy about the sport and the activity, and start focusing on those again because that's going to make you do more of it and have more fun doing it. And you're going to get your fitness back quicker. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So I think some really good points as far as kind of you know the reasons why we do this, um, and kind of you know we can talk about the science of it all and how how to tie it all in. But really, it just comes down to you know finding your why, and we've talked about that you know a couple of different episodes, and just making sure that that motivation is there because um, you want to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. All right, we've got a couple things we just wanted to cover um, for those that are in um, in our labs. Um, a little bit about what we're doing in the labs. So um, we've got two sides, strengths and skills. Uh, we've t- been talking about um, a good amount about. Um, I'll go ahead and cover strength. Um, really, it's a maintenance stage stage just because we are fine-tuning um, really that knife, really getting down to the nitty-gritty. Um, so really just maintenance between 15-minute stretching and um, the 17-minute um, stretch that we have for after cycling events or after after cycling uh, rides are really key. Keep that body loose, keep your core activated, and that sort of thing. Um, Taya, can you cover our, um, our skills at least from the execution lab? And then I can pull up the ones that um, we're adding to the um, Academy booster.
2: Sure. So we are covering everything. (laughs) We have, we have, uh, we even our workouts are an hour long here for the week. But really, we are covering all the bases. We are in the um, for the hill work. We did low cadence. We did high cadence. We did standing. Um, We did changing the body positions, like I was mentioning earlier. We had a tempo ride in between here, but again, not just riding tempo steady. For the whole ride, we mixed things up here too, alternating over unders uh, at ninety and seventy percent of FTP, and then we had the sprint party, which was so popular, mm-hmm. not only with our uh, lab participants but also on the uh, group workouts that we led this week in Zwift. And the cool thing about this sprint party was we had we did them different ways. We had the first two sets that we did starting from a very hard gear so that you had to mesh it through it and use your legs to really kind of starting almost like pedaling in mud. And the purpose for that is uh, really um, developing that muscular strength, just like you were doing press, um, excuse me, leg presses on the gym. And then we did it seated and standing. Then we did seated and standing from your usual gear running up to a hundred RPMs. Um, from that, we did the uh, endurance lab valleys, and those were inverted pyramids, if you will, teaching your body to recover from super thre- super threshold efforts, um, dipping into just below threshold to uh, get that adaptation on uh, removing lactic acid from your body at a higher power and then going back up and down again.
0: Excellent. So, on on the other side of things, for those riders that are riding in the Academy Booster Ride, obviously we're doing um, the two workouts in the Swift Academy. We have have recommended that there be three days um, separated between the two workouts. So, if you did um, kind of the first workout on a Monday or Tuesday, you're looking at Friday or Saturday for your second workout. If you're not separating this workout by two or three days, um, definitely look into that. I think it would be very important. Um, Intermixed in that of what we've added, uh, what we've recommended, is one, uh, a Zone 2 ride, essentially a proper social Zone 2 ride, finding your zone to be able to ride into and get that endurance work in, Um, and then some skills with um, essentially some twenty forties, which is 20 seconds on, uh, 40 seconds off at VO2 max, and then some cadence work, really focusing on left leg, right leg, um, high cadence, low cadence, um, and that sort of thing, kind of working that in. Um, in between. So not only are you getting recovery during this, you're working a little bit of VO2 and really getting the, again, those skills that we've been talking about. Um, and essentially between the group ride, the zone two ride, that's about as much as intensity as you're going to need. Really anywhere from two to three intense sessions per week is all you're going to get out of yourself. Um, so what you're looking at is making sure that you make the easy days easy and the hard days hard so that you can get the fitness in um, for those that are new to this. but um, this will definitely help balance it out, and if you're looking for more information um, on getting this plan, and we are adding riders as we go. If you need, we are getting interest as we go on, so let us know. Um, reach out to us at EnduranceLab.fit or on the Facebook at um, The Endurance Lab. So pretty good there. I know um, I'm doing some of those workouts. Mitch, are you doing any um, of the academy workouts uh, for the group? Or are you sticking to um, our execution, execution uh, workouts this, in the next coming weeks?
1: Yeah, I think I'm doing the execution ones. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I think I'm doing Tuesday and Thursday next week. So Excellent. I'm assuming it should be the high cadence and the power jumps. But uh, I know there's yeah. some some scrutiny sometimes on the high cadence wow. workouts. But uh, but we'll see. And I'm also doing the coffee ride on Wednesday. So nice. Stefan, nice. Stefan LeFevre has been on a uh, long trip, and I picked up his uh, his workouts. So that's great. Yes. So
0: what we're talking about here is we're, we do have live um, workouts that we do. Um, you could jump on live. You could replay them later. You can jump on and ask questions and comments. So we are available for that. Also, Taya hosts uh, chat and chill on Mondays. Um, so check the module for that. Um, it is one of the um, if you're looking for a ride where you just don't log on and uh, and and ride. You can definitely jump on and and get on Discord and get some good conversation going. So really good talk today. I want to be respectful to everybody's time and our listener as well as our coaches. We had a great talk today. Um, kind of quick roundtable about. Um, hydrating during different levels outside of 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 24 hour events. Talked about the, the really fun addition of crit racing to CrossFit games, um, really about honing our skills on the bike, um, the, the, the non-use or the reason for using ERG, understanding zones and kind of how you could use those and translate those to outdoors. And really talking about finding your why and when you're coming back from a break, you know, the things that you should kind of think about and kind of being honest with yourself and having that conversation um, and making sure that you're doing things for the the, the motivation or the right reasons um, moving forward. A uh, quick recap of, um, you know, all the skills that we had from this week. Um, made for essentially a really great show. If you have any questions about anything we talked about, we've got a couple links um, that we'll put here in the YouTube as well as on the um, social media links that we put out today. Um, but really, um, that was a great show. Anything else from the coaches this morning? Have a good weekend. No, that's it. Keep up the great work. Yes, yeah. yeah. Keep up the great work and have a great week. All right. So thank you for joining us today here in the Coach's Corner. If it's your first time listening and would like to hear more content from the Endurance Lab, head over to your favorite podcast app. Search the Endurance Lab or head over to YouTube and search the same. We're also available on Spotify. If you're a Spotify listener, jump on over there, click subscribe. For for, for more information on when the next lab is or to jump into our current lab, head over to endurancelab.fit where you can learn and you can join us to train smart, learn more and get results. We'll see everybody next week.